Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbtwellness.org if you would like to follow up on any of the stories that I am about to share. Let's go to our first one, Patients Okay with Soji Questions. LGBT Health published a study finding that medical record questions on sexual orientation and gender identity were largely considered acceptable to urology and oncology patients, with only 5% choosing not to disclose their sexual orientation and less than 1% not disclosing their gender identity. Just over half of patients considered these questions to be important, which kind of a mixed result there. Obviously, it'd be great for everyone to understand um, why it's important for for you know, uh, providers to know about our sexual orientation and gender identity. But still, I think that that that's an important uh, finding. And the fact that most people filled it out, even if they didn't think it was important, kind of shows that this is a a win-win situation. The results also suggest that more healthcare providers and systems could ask patients these questions without worrying about, um, you know, a lot of, uh, I don't know, flap or or people not filling them out or getting confused. And we know that this could uh, lead to improvements in care. So definitely, I think, a good study um, to help show why these questions are important and probably not as controversial as they are made out to be. Next up, clinic provides care for waiting patients. Pediatrics published a study examining a clinic for trans youth aimed at connecting them and their families to support and information during what can be a really lengthy process um, to receive gender-affirming care. So in this particular study, they were saying that it was over a year for patients to be able to sign up and actually get in for um, full gender-affirming care. So basically, they created this clinic to at least connect people to information, make them feel supported, see what they can do for them in the meantime, um, and get them ready for when they were able to receive uh, full services. The researchers found that the youth who were part of this uh, experienced less anxiety and depression compared to data collected on youth um, that had not received this service. Uh, They also reported a greater sense of agency and thus an improved outlook on their future. This promising intervention could help improve outcomes for youth as they await full access to care, which I think is really, um, you know, pretty understandable to any of us who have had to wait for any kind of care for any reason. Uh, It can be a very uh, stressful process. We don't feel seen. We don't feel important. We feel confused, um, frustrated. And so this seems to me like a a really good way to uh, kind of put a Band-Aid on the problem of just not having enough providers to provide gender-affirming care, especially outside of, you know, the major uh, urban areas where there's at least a little bit more of that type of care. And our next story, telehealth walls should stay down. The Hill published an opinion piece explaining that telehealth, which has expanded greatly during the COVID-19 pandemic, is important for trans individuals and can and should be maintained after the pandemic is over. Telehealth allows trans individuals to access care that is sometimes not available in their immediate vicinity, as I just mentioned in this story prior to this one. But regulations relating directly to telehealth, as well as other related ideas like state licensing systems, have prevented wider use. Um, This has been a major problem and is one of the reasons why we really didn't see too much telehealth available before the pandemic. A lot of states came in and and waived rules that were preventing wider use. Um, And basically, this article shows why that should continue, especially from the perspective of trans health access. 
The pandemic may have indicated um, that these restrictions are out of date uh, and needlessly are preventing access to care. It seems like people were overall happy with those services um, and that access to a lot of forms of care actually increased with telehealth during the pandemic. So definitely something that, that I hope policymakers will look at. In our next story, Health of Sexual Minorities 50+. Plus. Psychiatric Services published a study finding that sexual minority women aged 60+, plus were more likely than their heterosexual peers to smoke, drink alcohol, have a substance use disorder, and have used medical services to address substance use issues. In comparison, sexual minority men 50 and up had chronic health conditions and mental health issues Uh, but were less likely to have had inpatient safer substance abuse issues when compared to their heterosexual peers. So some interesting findings here, and I think um, shows the importance of looking at specific subpopulations in research. We have some differences here between um, men and women in these age groups, of course, would be even more interesting if we could also have data on on, on trans older adults, non-binary adults, 50 plus. Um, but as we know, uh, these questions do not get uh, answered, uh, asked in a lot of places. There's not a ton of data available. So every kind of study like this helps to put together the pieces and let us see really specifically that, you know, LGBT health is not uh, is not uniform across all of these different populations. In our next story, action sought for LGBT refugees and asylees. NBC News reported on an effort being made by several U.S. senators to have increased protections for LGBT refugees and asylum seekers. The State Department previously announced that it would aim to do more to protect these vulnerable populations and to coordinate efforts among the various relevant agencies. However, the group of senators uh, making these moves are seeking additional information as they said that there hasn't been too much additional uh, news on this since the announcement was made in February. Hundreds of individuals apply for protections each year based on a fear of uh, violence or death in their home country due to their LGBT identity. And in our final story of the week, Team LGBT Makes History. NBC also reported that LGBT athletes in the 2020 Olympics, if they were to form their own team, would have won a collective 32 medals and have placed behind just 10 countries in terms of medals won, right between France and Canada. Three in 10 out LGBT athletes uh, at the Games won a medal, with many using their platform to call for greater inclusion in sports and in society in general, which is really, uh, even as someone personally who's not a big Olympics fan, was really cool and moving to see. Well, that wraps up another edition of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. If you are interested in reading any of the stories I've discussed on your own, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org and find the link to that story. Thanks for listening and tune in again next week for another edition of the Roundup.